it's uh, good to be with you. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. I don't see anybody in here with a root beer. Uh, we have dad's root beer out in the uh, in the lobby for all you dads. We, I think we may have enough for more than just dads, but dads first, okay? So, um, and they are twist top, so... Uh, yeah, feel free to uh, feel free to enjoy root beer while you're here. Special thing for you, uh, dads, this morning. And if you want to share, that's up to you. Okay. So we're uh, we're glad you're here, um, man. I, I don't I can't think of a uh, of a of a better uh, of a of, of a better thing to to just challenge us on a Father's Day is just that we need intentional fathers today. We need intentional dads. We're going to be talking in James here about being an in intentional uh, follower of Christ. But man, we, we just, uh, we are thankful if you are a dad and, and you are engaged in your kids' lives and, and you are pointing them towards Jesus, we are abundantly thankful for you. And uh, if you, um, if Father's Day has this, like, if it brings joy, if it brings sorrow, wherever you're at, or if it's a little bit of both, um, we just, I just want to want to pray for you, kind of pray over this day. So let's do that. Um, God, thank you for fathers. Lord, thank you for your design of fathers, God. Um, that, that, that you would um, give us uh, models and mentors to follow. But God, we also recognize that, um, man, we're in a, a broken world, and not all of us have experienced um, healthy, uh, healthy father figure in our lives. So we pray for those who are searching for comfort today. We pray for the, the comfort of their heavenly father, of you to enter into that space. And we pray for those who rejoice in their dads. We, we, we celebrate. Um, so we want to do both at the same time. God allow us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, just a few things before we get into the message today, just a few, uh, few things to mention. Next Sunday, we're doing a, a student bash. We're not bashing students, um, but we're doing a, a potluck party. So our, our, we, we always do a Super Sunday potluck. That's this coming uh, Sunday. Once a month, we do it. And we're also having like games and ice cream and, and stuff specifically for students. You made it through the school year. That's a big deal. Um, so specifically for, for students, we're going to have some games and stuff like that. So if you have, uh, especially high schoolers or middle schoolers, it'll be a really fun Sunday for them next week. Um, so, uh, so bring them. July 10th, we're starting a course here at CTK Blaine. I'm really excited about this. If you're not familiar with Alpha, Alpha is a, um, a series, a class, and a community that helps you process what you actually believe what your faith is, and it introduces um, what the Bible teaches about God, um, who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus, and you get to do, talk about that in a really great community, uh, safe community, where people aren't going to judge you for, for what you believe, or what you bring to the table, or what you're working out, and uh, the other good things about it is there's a meal involved, and there's also child care, so um, so this is open for, for anybody. Uh, you can sign up. We actually have a, uh, a website you can sign up on. Even on, I'll, I'll let you look at your phones if you want to do that today. Um, no judgment. Uh, but yeah, you can sign up at ctk.church uh, backslash bling groups. And there's a link, a form to fill out. Because uh, we want to know how many people are coming so that we can prepare. Um, we want to have, so we can prepare table leaders and 
and food and all that. So let us know if that's of interest of you. That's going to be five Mondays in the summer. So starting July 10th, it'll be Monday night, 6 to 7.30 through August 7th. So we would love to have you jo sorry, join us for that. Um, all right. So uh, we we're got two weeks left in our series in James, uh, which if you've been with us, man, James is a powerful book. It's very direct. It speaks right to um, right to like real issues in our lives, and and so I'm excited to continue this this uh, book with us today, uh, book with with all of us. And um, more than anything, what the book of James communicates is that um, our faith has to be backed up by what we do, that our faith demands action. And so we've been talking about living an intentional life of following Christ, taking intentional steps, putting our faith into practice. And sometimes that's, that's hard for us to think intentionally because so much of life is reactive. So much of life is handed to us. Like, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And so in the middle of all that, James challenges us to be really intentional about following Christ. You know, so we, we do put our faith into practice. We pray. Uh, we, we, we learn from God's word. We meditate on God's word. We give generously to others. Uh, we serve in difficult situations. These are all things we as believers do. And so God calls us into a really active engagement of faith. And my hope in, in teaching this series is that, we, that you would never feel stuck in your faith. Like, what do I do? Like, James gives us very practical th things, practical steps to take uh, in our faith. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at coming at with this series. And we're going to look at the end of James 4 today. We're going to dip into James 5. And it continues this theme of being intentional with our faith. And it specifically talks about how we view tomorrow. What is going to happen in the future? And handing that to God. Because we all, all of us, desire some kind of control over what happens in the future. Amen? Like, we all, we all want some kind of control, some kind of say in what is going to happen in the future. And what James says at the end of James 4 is that we don't control tomorrow. God does. We don't control what happens tomorrow. God does. I was thinking about that this week because I introduced my kids to something really near and dear to my heart. I introduced them to the uh, Back to the Future trilogy um, this year. They're, they're just at the age where they, I know they'd appreciate it. And uh, one thing, if you've seen, I, I'm assuming most of you have seen Back to the Future, but if, if you haven't, it's a, it's a pretty famous time travel movie. Um, and it, it's, it's about this kid, this 17-year-old kid, Marty goes back from, this is, you know, 1985 to 1955, and, uh, and, and he runs into his parents, and he messes everything up. He messes, them, messes up them meeting, and, and, and so he's, his very existence is threatened, and so his whole goal through the whole movie is to get his parents back together, and, and it's tough because his mom is, like, infatuated with him, and that's the weird part of the movie. Um, <laughs> Everything else is great. That's a little strange, but um, but but the character that really interested me in, in in that first movie is the is the dad, because he really goes through out of everyone in the movie, he goes through a transformation, where when you meet his dad in 1985 and 1955, he's a pushover. Um, he is uh, 
you know, he's, he's not confident, he's, he's getting taken advantage of, and, and uh, kind, of, kind of this nerdy, quiet guy, doesn't want to share, like, his interests with anyone, and then um, when he goes through, when, when Marty goes back in time and, and, and basically coaches him up, when he gets back to the future, his dad's totally different, if you remember, he's super successful, he's super confident, he's, he's an author, and, uh, you know, he hands Marty a book, and, and he says this line, he says, you know, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And I was thinking about this week as we looked at this passage, because that is sort of the, the, the value of our culture, right? You, whatever you put your mind to, you can accomplish. And I'm sure we've all heard that in a thousand different ways um, from a thousand different people. Um, I remember being eight years old, and I was watching um, the inauguration of President Clinton. So just do the math there. You can find out how old I am. Um, but I was watching this, and I remember my mom saying, like, hey, if, if a kid from Hope, Arkansas can become president, you can someday. And I really disappointed my mother that I, I didn't pursue <laughs> politics. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, we have this, you know, there's a sense of ambition or, like, self-propulsion in our culture. Like, we, we can propel ourselves. We can control our own future. Um, we, you know, and this has kind of been at this, the center of, of our culture for a long, long time. And, uh, and it's true that there is a lot of merit to hard work and innovation. If you think about massive changes that have happened in society. In 1913, Henry Ford invented the assembly line uh, for automobiles, and it reduced the price of automobiles about 75%. And America was changed overnight because suddenly most people could afford a car. And in the 1900s, it was common for most people not to travel within 50 miles of where they were born over the course of their lives. And then in the next century, people can kind of travel wherever they want to go. And so, and, and then if you, and, and then uh, fast forward to the 50s, and you have President Eisenhower saying, hey, you know what would be great? if we made this huge freeway system across the United States. And so he gets that going, and all of a sudden we can, we can travel anywhere and do anything. And, and think about how that Im might impact where you live today, right? The fact that you can travel to Bellingham, that you can travel to different places, you know, that, that impact where a lot of people lived. And the, the suburbs were born, and I came from the suburbs. So, you know, it's... It's automobiles changed everything because of innovation, because of ambition. And so God is not against innovation. God is not against hard work. God is not against having goals. God is not against making plans. But what we're going to see is in the text today, God does take a stance against a I can do it all attitude. I've got it all figured out. I can map out my life. I can... I can predict what happens tomorrow. And what James is going to address is that God is against human arrogance. When we set our own agenda for our lives without considering what God may have in store for us, or even the fact that God controls the future, that God, God is against us living lives that, that pushes him out of the equation, and, when we, and forgetting that we are fragile and that we need constant connection with God. And so, with this in mind this morning, we're going to go ahead and read um, three, or we're going to read uh, four verses, in James, starting in James 4.13. It says this, 
Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live or do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant, arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is the word of the Lord. You guys are getting that. That's good. Um, so most, so here, this is wisdom from God. And you need to know that this is not just written to the church. This is written to anyone, Christian or not. All of us have to live with the idea that we are temporary, that we're here for a moment, that we're, we're here today, we're gone tomorrow. And so even if you're not a Christian, this wisdom is something that James wants you to live with, that there is a God in control, and that we all, uh, we all are at his mercy. And so the question that James gives us to wrestle with is this, are we living with a false sense of control? over our lives are we living with a false sense of control because here james's target audience is is to the independent um, successful person who doesn't see a need for god in their lives that that the world is is theirs for the taking they can plan their schedule all those things and before i get going on that i also want to say there's a flip side to that there's there's arrogance but there's also this thing that we struggle with it's still a control issue but it's called worry Right? We can be arrogant about the future. We can say we got it figured out. We don't need help. Or we can worry constantly about the future. Both are control problems. Both are our are, are attempts to, to control what's going on in the future. So we might, we might not have this like bravado or confidence going into the future. We might have a lot of concern, worry, and doubt. Like, is God going to show up? And um, God, Jesus spoke directly to this crowd, the worry crowd, in the Sermon on the Mount in Scripture. And so I want to say, before, before we keep going on James, if you find yourself in a place where you're worried, where you're worried about your finances, where you're worried about your health, uh, where, you're, where you're worried about the future, um, hear these words from Jesus. He said this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that true? <laughs> if we could just take it day by day. Yeah, the, you, Jesus is pretty wise, right? Like, each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Right? Yeah, like make, you know, make, you can make some plans, but, but you can't fret about tomorrow. He, Jesus says earlier in this, like, like, by worrying, can you add a single hour to your life? Does that, does that accomplish anything? No, trust. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus with your worry. And so whether you struggle with arrogance or worry, the message is the same for all of us. It's this, is trust God with tomorrow. Simple. Trust God with tomorrow. Easier said than done. God says to the worried heart, I've got you. I will provide. You will have shelter. You will have clothing. 
He says, you are freed, even in your worry, to seek the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom of God first. Hang on to me. And I know that can be a struggle when, you know, we're running low on cash, uh, <clears throat> when, when we encounter big problems. That can be a struggle. But, but Jesus tells us, no, I will take care of you. You're not trusting me as your provider. You're trusting in what you can see and what you can control when I want you to put your eyes on me. So let's fast forward to James. And James is speaking the same message of control to a different crowd. He uses this phrase, now listen. It's like he's shaking this, this crowd of people. And this is what he says. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. So these are people, uh, he's speaking to the money motivated, right? Big plans, making things happen, ambitious goals, but we've forgotten God's place in our lives. And so, just to paint a picture, now he's speaking, I'm going to say he's speaking to the business community, but there, we can find all of us in this. We can find all of us in this. But what I want to say is, in the first century, this was, business travel was really common. And, um, you know, you had people traveling to different cities for economic opportunities. Some were merchants, some were developers, some were farmers selling their, their stuff. And so James is writing to people in a city, Jerusalem, living under Roman rule. And, and during this time frame, they're, they're living in what's called the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana literally means the Roman peace. And that's a 200-year period where the Roman Empire was at its largest and most stable. So the battles had all been fought, the wars had been won, and now it's just time to enjoy the, the, the spoils, basically. We can kind of live in relative peace and harmony after centuries of war. And so this peacetime allowed for massive government projects like roads and aqueducts and walls that gave people a sense of security. It allowed for education and literature to take off. If they could have built freeways or had the idea, they probably could have, right? Um, they, but yeah, they built, they built highways and road systems. But I'll say this, it's easier to accomplish your dreams during peacetime. Like it's hard to write, like if, if your city was under attack, it'd be really hard to sit down and write that novel you've been meaning to write, right? Like it just wouldn't happen. But during peacetime, you can kind of accomplish your dreams in, in the sense of security and safety. And I don't know today where our country is headed, but what I can say is it's easy to draw a comparison from like Pax Romana to post-World War II America, isn't it? Like we live in relative safety and security. We've had stability over enough time to prosper as a nation in many ways. And stability and wealth in a society um, allow us to think about big things, right? We're not thinking about survival. We're thinking about what could be, what could be next. And so James is talking to people who are similar to us in a lot of ways. They're similar to us. They're living in the, the safety of a large empire, and that's allowed them to have a greater sense of control over their lives. And I'll say this. I'm so thankful for where I live. I'm so thankful we're not a country at war. I'm so thankful for, for, for the, the ways that we've been able to prosper because it has allowed us to live peaceful lives. 
And so I am so thankful for that. The, the problem that James speaks to is that the, the, the peace and security of this world can mask the, the fragility of our lives. And it can mask the needs of our soul. And we're reminded, we're reminded of this with every, every mass shooting you hear about in the news. It reminds us of how fragile life is. I remember being 15 years old and hearing about the Columbine shooting in the, my last class uh, in, as, as a freshman in high school, the last, last period I was in. And it was, it, it broke everyone's heart right? It broke everyone's heart. It was shocking. It was unspeakable. It shook the nation. We had our, our teacher, I remember as an English class, and my English teacher had friends in Colorado calling them, hey, are your kids okay? And now we fast forward to 2022, and last year there were 600 people killed in these types of shootings. 600. It, they, that's uh, shootings where, where four or more people died. And so this veneer that of safety and stability that we've had in a lot of ways is, is sort of crumbling, right? That we've had years of peace, but then we're seeing this rise of despair in the last 25 years. We're seeing that life is amazingly fragile and that we are not in control. We, are, we do not know what tomorrow will bring. And so James is saying that despite, despite indicators, despite warnings, um, we're tempted to live still like we're never going to die. We're tempted to live like, like, uh, like we'll just keep going forever. And what he's challenging us to do is to get out of our ignorance of tragedy and, and our insulation from suffering, all of us, Christian or not, we're going to suffer, we're going to experience pain, we're, uh, we're going to experience loss, and we need to hand our future to God, because he knows what's best. We've got dreams and plans, and you might have a, a real solid dream or plan. You know, you might have a dream that you're sitting on right now. Maybe it's buying a house, maybe it's starting a business, uh, maybe it's a trip, and James is saying, hold on, submit everything to the Lord, all those plans. Submit it all to the Lord. Be flexible. Because if you just keep going like, like uh, God doesn't exist and the future is guaranteed, you're forgetting something important. James says this. He says, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So James says, you can be busy, 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 and unaware that your life is just temporary. It's a mist. God loves you. God wants to make the most of that time. But in order to make the most of your, your little frame of time, you've got to be connected to God. He uses this, this phrase, mist or a vapor. A few years ago, we taught a series in Ecclesiastes, and I, I, I hammered this hard. So if you were with us, maybe you remember this. But um, it, the, in Ecclesiastes, it starts with this guy called the teacher saying, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And the word meaningless there is vapor. It's the same thing that James is alluding to. It's, it's literally like a puff of steam. That life is just a puff of steam. It appears, and it's gone. Life is fleeting. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes 1.3. It says, 
What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Like, we're here for a short amount of time. We've, we've got a little, little bit of time to make the most of, and then, and then we're gone. We don't have years and years to, to waste on ourselves. Like, we've got, we've got an, a life, we've got something to do here uh, with the, the puff of steam that we, that we have. And so, it's not that God doesn't love us. God loves us tremendously, but we've got to capture the amount of time that we actually have. We've got a short amount of time to follow God and to make a difference. God doesn't want us to, to walk around and live with spiritual blinders on or, or blinders to eternity. Blinders to the fact that one day we'll be standing before God, right? God wants us to live in the biggest reality that we can, have the greatest perspective on our lives that we can, and not just get stuck in the busy. And it's so easy to get stuck in the busy and not pop our head out, right? It's so easy to just get stuck sometimes. But God has a plan for our puff of steam of a life. He's got a will for us. That's why it says, you know, if you know what to do and don't do it, it's sin. God has a will for you. God has a purpose for your life. And here he talks about us living in our vanity. Ecclesiastes is about living in vanity. And while James is talking to business people, I want to say this. Wealth does not equal vanity. You don't have to be wealthy to be vain. Just, and just because you have wealth doesn't mean that you are vain. Richard, we can give our lives away, uh, regardless of if we're wealthy or poor, to, to fleeting things. My temptation is to spend way too much time processing sports content each week, right? And if I give my life to that, if, if I'm like just trying to get through summer so I can get to the start of the NFL season, I'm missing something, and James has a word for me. James is saying, you might not make it to the beginning of the NFL season, so you should probably make your life about something else. <laughs> so that's for the dads, okay? No. But, um, but yeah, we, we, it doesn't matter, you know, how much money is in the bank. We all have this tendency towards vanity. It may be, may be focused more on, on how we look, right? That's why I got married young. You know, I wanted to make sure I got married when I looked good. And then, and it was not, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to be beautiful for you. Uh, but some, it, some of us might be, might think a lot about how we look, how we appear, our image. We live in such an image-based culture, right? With social media and all of that, we might really obsess and think about how we look and what, and, and what we're doing. And so James is speaking to this situation um, and specifically to this business crowd, but he's speaking to all of us who want control over our future and over our lives. So what James says is, and this is to anybody who has plans for themselves, James says, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. James says, put yourself humbly under the will of God. Humbly under the will of God. Don't boast about plans. Submit everything to God. God writes the best stories. God writes the best stories for your life. God writes um, the—God's the only one who can bring transformation uh, into your story and work through you. And so I was thinking about this today, and I was thinking about, 
I was thinking about like a scenario that you, that you guys probably know well, but imagine today. Imagine today you came into to church. You came into church. And imagine this was a, a, a much bigger church with a huge lobby, with air-conditioned seats. Everything was beautiful. And people are happy to be here, but they're, they're, they're all looking forward to something else. Some are, some are dressed to go boating, some are dressed to go hiking, some are dressed to go golfing, some are dressed to like, all right, we're just here for a minute. And when you get into conversation, you get into conversations with about 20 different people, uh, but not once does, does God come up in the conversation. Not once does Jesus come up in the conversation or what he's doing in someone's life. And instead, it's focused more on the self, more on travel plans, more on um, new additions to our houses, more on sports or politics or business or whatever. And, and nowhere, nowhere in this conversation is, is Jesus found in this church you're visiting. Nowhere is there a hint of God impacting anyone's life directly. Everybody's doing their own thing. This is what James wants us to avoid. James wants his church to see God's work in their lives. And yes, is it okay to make small talk? I'm not arguing against small talk. I love small talk, okay? Because I want, I want to get to know people. And my first question to people is not, hey, where are you going when you die? That's usually not my first question <laughs> to people. So I'm not saying don't make small talk. What I am saying is, we are a people shaped and influenced by Jesus. We're here because of Jesus. And so what James is saying is he wants a church that is moved by Jesus, that is, that, is, uh, that is seeing God at work in their lives. And so when we come together on Sunday, we should be celebrating those things. We should be, like, in that story. And so I, I, I'm speaking to just a generic church. I want you to know that. I'm not saying this is you guys, and that's, that's not it at all. I'm just saying what God doesn't want the church to become is a, a social club or a social event. The church is the family of God set apart for the mission of God in the world, right? So, so we're, we're not, we're not, it's not about being social. It's really about following Jesus the whole way through. I hope you're here today because you want to follow Jesus. And so, yes, it's okay to make small talk. It's okay to do those things because, like, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know who you are. But the, the point of being here is to pursue Jesus together, to know him more. We believe it when Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the life. So I want to experience that with you this morning. So one way that we want to do this more at CTK Blaine to make sure that we're focused, and, and this is sort of an aside, but it's relevant to what we're talking about. But in the, the coming months, we're going to talk about um, membership at CTK Blaine. Like, what, what, does it, what, are, what are we asking you to do uh, when, when you become a part of this church? You know, there's different commitments that we make as a, a member of a church, and it's really just a commitment to be the church. Um, you know, commitments like being in biblical community, serving, reaching out, those are, those are commitments. We just want it to be really, really clear what we're about. And so I think in September we'll start membership classes and stuff like that. But that's one way that we personally are like, yeah, we want to be really clear about why we're here and, and what, we're, what we're all about. Because I believe that, that the best life you can live is one connected to God. 
That's the best life you can live. The, the best life you can live is one connected to God, living for his kingdom, not your kingdom, living for his love and his glory, that you would live in connection with a great God. And so in this daily connection with God, you discover his will more and more for your life. The way I see it is like God shows you step by step. God builds your life step by step. So he just asks you to take the next step, and then he kind of unveils the next step. It's not, sometimes we get, you know, there's a lot of Christians, I feel like they want clarity. Like, what does God want for me? My experience is that God reveals that clarity a little bit by little bit. Rarely ever does he reveal or unveil the whole plan right out front. And it, it we, when we, when we walk towards God, when we're, when we're actively seeking him, when we're praying, when we're, when we're spending time in his word, that's when we see more and more of his plan. That's when we are able to put more and more of our plans under his authority. And it's not that God doesn't want to bless your plans. Your plans might be in line with his plans, but God may correct plans as well or may change plans. So the, the bottom line is to trust God with tomorrow. Trust God with tomorrow. Whether you're facing tomorrow with fear, whether you're facing tomorrow with doubt, whether you're facing tomorrow with, uh, or whether you're coming into tomorrow with too much confidence, like, I got it figured out, we're going to be fine. Lay that future down before God. Now, I was really hesitant to share the next part of James 5 because the language is so strong. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> um, like, I'll, t I'll, I'll be honest with you. When, when um, judgment passages come up in Scripture, they make me a little nervous, especially as a preacher, because I don't want you to miss the heart of God. And I want you to see that when God speaks to a certain situation and a certain people, that, that he, this is actually just like warning. This is warning. This is actually love. Like, he, he wants everybody to, to be on the same page um, with him, and he wants, um, he want, if we're off track, he wants to correct us because he loves us like a good dad would. A good dad would, would lovingly correct us and get us back on track. And I also want you to know before we read this that James is speaking to a group of wealthy landowners who have used and abused people to gain wealth for themselves outside of the city of Jerusalem. So there is a specific context to this. This is not a general statement. Uh, when he says, you rich people, this is not a general statement on rich people, okay? I just, I just want you to know that. We have to read the Bible through the historical lens um, that, uh, that uh, it, it was written in. But at the same time, this is, this is a, a, a unveiling of a life that's completely focused on money and the result of that. Like, if your life is completely focused on money, God wants to save you from a bad ending. And so this is what James says. He says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and your moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. See, a little, it's a little intense. Just a little intense. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Uh, you know, James doesn't really mince words, does he? He's a little strong with his words. Um, but no, James is speaking to people who have 
hurt others in pursuit of their own personal wealth. He's speaking to people who have set their heart on money and, and, and financial, uh, money and control and power through their own finances, and, and this is where they end up. And some of this is just natural. Our wealth is temporary, right? But then there's also this judgment that only God can do, but there's also judgment for those who don't follow God. What God wants us to know is the wealth of following him and living for the kingdom of God and, and wealth of seeing your friends touched by the love of God and your own heart touched by the love of God and, and, and seeing your kids touched by the love of God. This is something God does, and it doesn't, it, this is not, this is not a, a, a um, this is not only focused on wealthy people. You can be poor and have your life focused on money, right? Or your own pleasure or your own appetite. This is all about the heart. And so in this case that James speaks to, he's, he's talking to people who have used and abused people in order to advance their own wealth. And, and uh, he shows them how temporary their wealth is, that your wealth is rotted, moths have eaten your clothes. Like, it's just very graphic, and it's graphic for a reason. It's like a siren blaring, like, hey, who are you really serving? Right? Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. It's like this warning light. Hey, guys, what, like, take stock of who you're serving. So as we close today, I just want to bring it back to Jesus. I just want to see how Jesus moves the target of our heart away from the here and the now and the temporary to eternal, to souls, right? Our hope as Christians is not that we get everything we want out of this life, is that we have a hope and a future beyond this life, that we will serve, that we will run a race well, that we will, that we will love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we will be available to serve and love people towards him, and I just want to say, I just want to backtrack to what Jesus said. Here's the target that Jesus is giving us. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount again. And Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins, vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants your heart. He's bringing it back to the heart, right? He's bringing it back to the heart. This is what God honors. God honors a heart that's set on the kingdom of God. And, and when we come into the kingdom of God, all, all we're doing is we're saying, God, you're ultimately who I live for. Take what I have and use it for your kingdom. Use it for your glory. God's given all of us uh, different things, different talents, um, God's blessed some of us with wealth for good things. And God honors a heart that chases him, that wants to use what God has given us to, to proclaim Jesus to the world. And so my question as we end is simply this. Will you submit your future plans to God and trust his goodness over your life? God doesn't want to leave you broke. He wants to give you treasure in heaven. He wants to give you treasure in heaven. And he is good. And when you trust him with your life, he will make something beautiful out of it. And it will start right here in your heart. 
But will you trust God and his heart for your life? Will you trust that he loves you and that he cares for you? And will you trust that when you live with his eternal perspective, that he will make every day count? We are a mist. We are a vapor. We are a puff of steam. Every day at our kitchen table, um, before we eat, we, uh, we take a lighter. We have two candles on our table. We, we light them, and everybody in my family says, Christ is light. Just kind of this reminder that we live in a dark world, and in the middle of this dark world, we know that Jesus is the only light that we have. And so we do that. And I added this part um, that my sons say. So we say, Christ is light. And I told them to say, and your mother's right. So <laughs> the, I worked that into it. Um, so that's, somebody told me, like, if you're having trouble hearing from God, listen to your wife. Uh, so, but, but we do that to remind our kids, to remind our family that like we live in a in a dark world where people are chasing all kinds of things what we have to do is be focused on Jesus be focused on him as the light of the world light illuminates the truth light illuminates what we should be living for and so that's who we need to run to that's whose kingdom we need to be about let's pray Jesus I thank you for your word I thank you that that you just tell it like it is God, that you speak right to, your, right to our hearts. And Lord, we believe, God, we believe that you are light and that you are good and that you want to show us how to walk in, in obedience and in love with you. And so, Lord, I pray that um, I don't know where everyone's at this morning. I don't know uh, what people are, have brought in, but I do know that we all have strong feelings about tomorrow. We, all, we might be distracted with tomorrow. We might be distracted with what's going to happen at work tomorrow. We might be distracted with uh, a meeting coming up. We, there's so many different things that, that we can be distracted with. But I pray whether it's fear, uh, whether it's anxiety, or whether it's just overconfidence, God, that we could just hand you tomorrow, trusting that you have our best tomorrow in mind. Lord, not that we could just get whatever we want, but that, that we could be connected to God. That we would live a life that counts for not just the here and now, but for eternity. Lord, you are at work in redeeming the world. You want us to be a part of that. So I pray, God, that we just find more of you as we seek you. We looked at last week that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. That's a promise. So I pray this morning, God, as we take a step, as we draw near to you, God, that you would draw near to us this morning. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, family, hey, we're going to worship together. Why don't we stand up? We're going to close in worship. I just want to say I'm so glad you joined us on this Father's Day. I also want to say if you want prayer, um, my friend Stephen and I will be over here. We'd love to pray with you. Um, and uh, God bless. I hope you have a great day just celebrating the, the, the good things. Um, that God is doing in your life.